Jim, testing. Are you there? Yes, Good. I am. You hear me? Yes, do. Coach Fagler, how you doing? Are you there? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, and I can hear you. All right, great. Thank you. Jeff, how you doing? Are you there? I'm clear, Cliff. All right. Speak up just a little bit more, Jeff. Okay. Loud and clear. Sounds good. Dr. Marlo Kemp, are you there? Good evening, everyone. I'm here. Sounds good. All righty. Good evening, and welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports in HBCU Athletics. Boy, we have a great show for you tonight. On behalf of all of my co-hosts, those in the studio, Jeff, James, Dr. Kemp, as well as the chat room, Coach Stephen Wright, and those who are listening tonight, not working so much, and that is none other than our Hall of Famer, Mr. Joel Bowers, and Hall of Famer, Terry Williams. Welcome. We have about eight days left in Black History Month. It's March Madness, and we're ready to go. We'll give a 10-second moment of silence, and then we're going to open up with a story that's all too often said. All right. Jeff, give us some insight. The Super Bowl parade. Yes, yes. Not a good... Uh... Not a good, not a good year this year, unfortunately. Uh, during the event, the celebration for Kansas City, it was, it was supposed to be a joyful event. Unfortunately, there was gunfire that broke out during the celebration. Uh, it, it happened towards the end of the parade, and uh, the report said it was about miners. There was a dispute, and you know when things started to escalate. Guns were pulled and they were firing into a crowd. Listen, there were over a million people there. Mm. So there was going to be trouble. Any player, any gunplay would be trouble. And uh, so the, the police came in pretty quick, but unfortunately, three suspects were involved. They picked up three suspects and there were a number of people. The total were 22 that were wounded, 12 of which were children. Nine of the children were treated for gunshots. 
so unfortunate. Uh, you know, there were there were two adults as well who were in critical condition, and one person was killed. Yeah. Uh, this person was a local DJ. Uh, her name was Lisa Lopez Galvin. Uh, she worked at KKFI radio and in Kansas City, and she was a mother of two. Her son was there. Her son was injured, but he's okay. She also had two nieces there with her that were hospitalized. So it was just a bad, bad situation all around. There was one bright spot. There was a spectator whose name was Paul Contreras. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He heard the commotion. He heard someone yell, listen, stop that guy. And he went into action, tackled this guy. Another spectator joined in. They held him down, the suspect down, until the authorities arrived. Listen, this was a father. He was there with his three girls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So you got to commend him for not only, you know, the father goes into protection mode immediately for his children, but he also, you know, saved a lot of people from getting injured or killed. That's just the bottom line. So these things are happening over and over again. You don't know whether to, are you going to go to big events with, with large crowds? Are you going to stay home, watch it on TV? We're living in a different world in time right now. It's happening not every week almost every other day. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be very mindful once again, uh, if and when we go out, know our whereabouts, know where the authorities are, uh, try to keep your head on a swivel when you're out in a crowd. That's very, very important. You can't say that enough. And so and we pray for all those who are affected. The families were just turned upside down. So the Kansas City Chiefs are trying to assist in what they can do for the community. But it's a bad situation situation out there right now, Cliff. Yeah. And, and thank you, Jeff. I do believe two uh, young men, 18 and 20-year-old, 22-year-old, were arrested today. Now, this isn't a shooting in a crowd. This is an argument. And then they just started shooting, I guess, at each other. But it started from an argument. But yeah. uh, they say so far, from what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. The dispute was between two people. Actually, there were three people that were picked up initially, but I believe one they let go. I think I heard yeah. those reports, one they let go. But this, this is something that happens everywhere. It's in our schools, uh, consistently in our schools. I know here in the DMV area, we, we hear reports every day of a fight breaks out, stuff like that. We've talked about this on our show before. So this is what's going on. Just be mindful where you're at. Tell your children when they're out to be mindful where they're at. Stay away from the crowds. Stay yeah. away from the, from the arguments. Yeah. Walk in the other direction. Do what you have to do to get away from trouble. Yep. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Great segment. Thanks for keeping us up, unfortunately, on these kind of stories. Uh, but this is a real, and uh, we're going to stay on top of it. Black History Month, we want to uh, continue to honor our heroes, and uh, we have none other. Listen to this name, Bessie Coleman, born January 26, 1892, and she died on April 30th, 1926. She was an early American civil aviator. She was the first African-American woman to hold a pilot's license. She earned her license from the Federation Aeronautique International on June 15, 1921, and she is the earliest known person to earn an international 
pilot's license. So, Dr. Kemp, welcome to the show. Tell everybody hi. Tell us what you think. Bessie <laughs> Coleman. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining. Um, you know, Dr. Burt, you always bring us some good ones every week. Bessie Coleman, the first African-American woman pilot. What can I say? What can I say? Um, you know, she is she's paved the way for, you know, I see some of the pictures that they have up. You know, they have like the all uh, either an all African-American crew or a female pilot. Every time I see that, I actually think of her because she definitely paved the way. And um, that was one of her dreams to become a pilot. And she did it by any means necessary. Um, although she was born in Texas, she wind up, of course, going to my hometown where um, she was supported uh, by the owner of the Chicago Defender, which is, was which was the black uh, newspaper um, there in Chicago at the time. So um, but she definitely fulfilled her dream um, and became, you know, that pilot and set the precedence for all the other, um, you know, African-American pilots moving forward. Yes. Bessie Coleman, Bessie Coleman, Bessie Coleman. All right now. And of course, we want to say welcome, and we're going to bring him on in just a second. And that's not Mr. James Wardell from the Motor City. But here's our second one, Granville Woods. In fact, his name was Granville Taylor Woods, born April 23rd, 1856, and he died January 30th, 1910. He was an American inventor who held more than 50 patents in the United States. He was the first African-American mechanical and electrical engineer after the Civil War. Self-taught, he concentrated most of his work on trains and streetcars. One of his inventions is the synchronous multiplex railway telegraph, a variation of the induction telegraph that relied on ambient static electricity from existing telegraph lines to send messages between train stations and moving train. So, Jim, come on. What do you think about him? Granville Woods, one of our heroes. Well, yeah. I want to say I want to say this first about Bessie Coleman. Mm -hmm. The airport in Tampa, Florida is named after Bessie Coleman. Oh. But Mr. Granville T. Woods is one of the great African-American inventors. He uh, helped out uh, Alexander Graham Bell in terms of the telephone. The telephone would not have been what it is or what it was at that point without him and his electrical devices. He improved the electric telephone transmitter. And he worked, like I say, he worked very closely with Alexander Graham Bell in doing a lot of these things. Yeah. One of That's the good. great unknown, well, I won't say unknown, but one of the great unsung heroes mm -hmm. in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Inventions. Alrighty. And again, we want to remind our listeners who are coming on the line, uh, we have Coach Flagler here tonight, the men's basketball coach from the Wild at Marshall, Texas. We're going to introduce him in about 25 minutes and uh, trying to get back into you. Now, we have some birthdays of some of our celebrities. 
Floyd Money Mayweather, born February 24, 1977. Of course, an American boxer, promoter, and professional boxer, and completed and completed between 1996 and 2017. Of course, we know he retired undefeated to 50 fights, 50 wins, and 27 by knockouts. He's also a tremendous businessman, one of the most lucrative pay-per-view attractions of all time. And let me just tell you, Mayweather, for him, is worth millions. He knew how to hold up that money. Jeff, what's your thoughts? Floyd, money, Mayweather. Let, let, yeah. Let's start from the business aspect. This young brother <laughs> right here, you know, he wasn't as educated as we might think, but he has done a world of, uh, of things in terms of his business. Yeah. And providing for his, a, 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 a future for his family for generations. Yes. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Now, as far as his fighting, you know, he's mastered the ring, he's mastered the media, he's mastered the fight game. I'm not really a new school fighter. I like the old fighters that get in there and mix it up. <laughs> But he's really mastered the game where it worked well for him, where others just couldn't get to that level. You got to give him, you got to employ Money Mayweather at all times. <laughs> Money Mayweather. Jim, I'm going to come to you because I know you love him too. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Jim, your thought. Floyd, Money Mayweather. It was very important for Floyd Money Mayweather to beat uh, Rocky Marciano's record. And he did it in grand style, even though I think the last couple of years he was fighting some people that uh, he knew he could beat. Mm -hmm. But he is the only boxer to win 50 wins and lose none. Wow. And as we said, he's an excellent businessman. He's made a lot of money outside the ring. Mm -hmm. And, he, you know, he's basically done his thing and, and made his money. Yeah. Floyd. Tip my hat to him. Yeah, Floyd, money, Mayweather. Thank you, Jim. All right, we have another birthday coming up for us. Uh, <laughs> Erica Badu, February 26, 1971. American singer, songwriter, and she influenced by RB, soul, hip hop. She rose to prominence in the 1990s with a debut album, Baduism. Placed her at the forefront of the Neo Soul movement, earning her the nickname Queen of Neo Soul. Dr. Kemp, talk to us. Erica Badu, happy birthday, huh? Happy birthday, Miss Erica Badu. I, do, <laughs> I love her style. She's always so laid back. It's an excellent performer. Um, you know, she definitely will give you a show, wonderful songs. So, ladies, remember, you better call your fellas. You better call Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you mess up, Miss uh, Badu does not play. Uh, but I love her as an artist. I love her as an artist. Uh, oh. She's amazing. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday, Erica Badu. Celebrity. Oh, yeah. All righty. We have two more for you. This guy. Uh, influenced us in influence history. He was born February 23rd, 1868. He died August 27th, 1963. W.E.B. Du Bois, okay? An American sociologist, sociologist, historian, pan-Africanist, and civil rights activist. He was born in Massachusetts, and he grew up in a tolerant and community 
completed his graduate uh, of Guggenheim University in Berlin and uh, undergraduate at Fisk University. And he was the first African-American to earn a doctorate from Harvard University. He was also very instrumental in starting the NAACP. He, he was a veteran editor in 1909 and uh, made many trips to Ghana and other parts of Africa. He wrote the famous book, The Souls of Black Folk. Jim, W, E, B, the boy. Besides being a Fiskite, he also uh, believed in the talented tenth, which meant that you wanted to get your people educated. And, you know, he and Booker T, and Booker T believed you need to learn a trade. So they went back and forth. But, you know, I believe that uh, Dr. Uh, W. Du Bois was right. Yeah. That you need to, you know, you do need trades on some sense, but you need to send your talent to tenth to get educated. All right. W.E.B. Du Bois, scholar. And here's the bonus for us today, and I'm coming to Jeff next. See if he recognizes this guy. February 20th, 1963, this former professional basketball player who is now a television analyst. He was only 6'4 when he entered the NBA, and he was known as the round, round, rebound. He played 16 seasons, originally with the Philadelphia 76ers. He played a power forward, and he was a 11-time all-star, none other than Sir Charles Barkley. Jeff, give us your take on Sir Charles Barkley. Yeah. You can't turn the TV on without seeing Charles Walker. He's pretty much in everything. So many commercials, advertisements. Of course, right now he's a he's been a consistent mainstay on TNT. But the brother can ball, man, over the years. Size or no size, he was a ball player. Uh, I, what I like most about him is that he is a he is a no nonsense when it comes to his opinion kind of guy. <laughs> you I, you either love him or you hate him. Yeah. There's really no middle ground. But I can respect him because he speaks his mind. Now he says some things that sometimes don't go over well. <laughs> but but he was a ball player. I got to give him that for his height. He dominated in the paint yeah. for his size. He got up and down the court. I won't congratulate his defense as much, but the, <laughs> but, the but the man participated and the man competed hard. So I got to give it up to Charles, Charles Round Mound the Rebound Barkley. Yeah, and a two-time gold medalist, two-time gold medalist. Yes, sir. Uh, I do believe he would have been an NBA champion, but him and Patrick Ewing just happened to come along at the same time. Long time. <laughs> they might have do it. Just no get question. No question about it. <laughs> uh -huh. Thank you, Jim. Jim, what's your thoughts on Sir Charles Barkley? I love Charles Barkley. I, I love his outspokenness. He's not, like like Jeff said, he's not afraid to tell it like it is. Mm -hmm. And he, he was a great, great player. But like you said, you know, he came around the time with uh, Jordan. Early on, it was Magic, Bird, Isaiah. That, that time, that group, that, you know, no one won beside mm -hmm. those four. Yeah. So it was very, and he just missed the Sixers championship. Drafted in '84, they won in '83. Mm -hmm. So, but no disrespect to him, he's one of the great players. I'd say one of the 20 greatest players ever. I agree. I agree. I agree. Sir Charles. All righty. Now let's start going. Here we go. 
We have her with us again. <clears throat> and we have one more week with her. And this is none other than our woman of the month, Miss Serena Williams, okay, the legend. Um, we talked about her greatness in career wins and percentages, but here's how she matched up against the best. Let's talk about Serena versus Venus. They played each other 31 matches in her career, and Serena was 19 and 12. She played her 15 times in the Grand Slam singles and 13 times in other tournaments, including finals. And uh, Serena, even though she started after her and head up matchup, 1912, Serena Williams. Then there's Serena Williams that's versus Hingis, okay? And Williams led that series seven to six. It was one of the Williams' first rivalries was Martina Hingis, who turned pro less than one year before her. And they first played each other in 1998, Miami Open, where Hingis won in three sets. But Serena would go on to compete in, again, head-to-head competition, 7-6. And then there was Cabriati, Jennifer Cabriati. In that series, Serena Williams was set 10 and 7, lifetime. And this was considered one of the best rivalries in women's tennis. Um, it was stiff with 12 out of the 17 meetings going what? Three sets. And last, there was Justin Hennon. Serena, 8 and 6 against her in her career. And they, uh, again, met 14 times, five of which were in tournament finals. She, again, Serena Williams, didn't dodge anybody. And the last one, or last two, Azarenka. Serena leads this series 18 and 5. And this rivalry began at the 2008 Australian Open. Their most recent match was in the semifinals of the 2020 U.S. Open. And Williams holds the lead of 10 and 1 in Grand Slam. She's the only person to ever win four WTA four level finals against Williams. Azarenka and Serena were matches to remember. Now, the most talked about, but yet lopsided, was Sharapova. Serena Williams led that series 20 to 2. They first met in the fourth round in 2004 in the Miami Open, and Williams defeated her 6 4 3 6 3. Their rivalry would go on, and Sharapova, after beating her twice, Serena vowed to never lose to her again. And she would go on over the next decade and a half and never lose to Sharapova. Yep, we call her our woman of the month, and we often said she belongs on the athletic Mount Rushmore. Dr. Kemp, Serena Williams, come on now. We got it this week and one more. Give us your comments. Come on, Dr. Burt. You already said <laughs> my fool. I mean, what can I say? She definitely belongs on Mount Rushmore. I mean, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of these competitors love to, you know, play her because it made them better tennis players i mean of course they probably you know knew that there was a ch uh, chance that they would lose um however um it was always uh great matches between them and 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 um they made each other you know better um during their entire careers um everyone that she played and then okay how can we say when venus and serena you oh, know boy. especially when they were younger you know, just playing doubles, it, you know, it was just always great to watch them uh, play together. And of course they made it fun to and exciting to watch. They put memories in our minds forever. Jeff, your thoughts on Serena Williams. We have one more week with them, but give us some thoughts on it. Yeah, one of the things that impressed me the most is her match against her sister. Mm -hmm. Reason being, it's easy to get up for someone that's not in from your household, mm -hmm. not your best friend for life that you grew up with. 
uh, the big sister that you had to catch up with and then pass her in terms of wings and talent. Mm -hmm. Their father, Williams, Papa Williams, knew that. That's why he often couldn't come to the match between the two of them. Yeah. yeah. Because he understood the feelings that's going on when you got to face your, your family, your relative. But Serena said, you know what? I got a job to do. <laughs> and that that's what impresses me the most. Listen, listen, I am a professional player, sister or no sister. I'm about to handle my business. We'll hug later on. That's what impressed me the most, Cliff. All right, now, Serena Williams, we have one more week, our woman of the month, okay? None of this Serena Williams. Now, our woman executive of the month, Monika Umike from the WNBA. She's also the president of the um, uh, 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 WNBA uh, Players Association. She uh, made a tremendous move in the collecting, collective bargaining agreement in 2020. Talked about the things she did as far as for women's rights, as far as fertility, but she also increased players' salaries. There was an expansion of the WNBA salary cap under her leadership, and the players' salaries increased by 53%. This was in association with the new rules that made WNBA players prioritize playing in the NBA. They could not start the seasons late. They proved it. Uh, where the base salary or the max salary went up to 215000 when it was currently 117000 almost double, okay? And also she got a long-term deal for many of the teams with marketing to give some more stability financially for the WNBA players. WNBA players no longer fly coach, okay? They're able to fly in premium airlines and economy plus, and each player is also given individual hotel accommodation rather than having rooms on the road. So she is making big strides as the president of the uh, Players Association. And uh, Dr. Kemp, give us your thoughts. The Woman Executive of the Month, Raina WNBA, Onika Wumakane. Yes. All righty, Dr. Kemp. Yeah, I, I think, Dr. Bird, you know, next they're going to finally get those private jets that they, um, you know, <laughs> going to need. You know, she keeps doing what she's doing and making strides like that. I, I truly believe that that's what's coming next because she definitely um, has helped the league, um, you know, the WNBA players, um, you know, just continue to just reach, you know, higher goals, uh, which we all know that they definitely deserve. And, um, how can you have someone, you know, in place like that that's definitely not going to help them out? And that's definitely what she's definitely has been doing the last. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Kemp. Magnika um, Umake. And we also have our analyst with us. And that is none other than Coach Steve Wright. Steve, tell everybody hello. And give us hello. your thoughts. Yeah. Hello, everyone. How you doing this evening? I didn't know if I was on. I've been listening. Yeah, you are. And, and <laughs> I, I didn't know if I'd been on the whole time or not. But uh, here's your uh, thoughts on Anika Womakane, the president of the WNBA Players Association, one of the two sisters, and the job she's been doing. She's been doing a wonderful job, and um, I think that uh, everyone knows it. And she's only going to continue to grow and go further and i think wherever the top is i think she'll be there one day i know she's at the top right now but i think there's more room for her to uh 
grow into another role that's even bigger. Yeah. And her best basketball days, even though she's been in the league, 12 leagues, are not behind her. Uh, Jim, thank you. Jane, tell us about her signing now with the Seattle Storm and them forming the big three. Uh, turn on some championships. Uh, well, Seattle was a, uh, I think they were a uh, lower, yeah. they were like, they were a real bad team last year. Yeah. But they went out and signed the big three. And, you know, I think they're going to compete. I don't know if they're ready to give Vegas a run for their money, but they're going to compete with them in the West. Mm -hmm. And they one got... other thing that impresses me about her, she's a Stanford grad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no joke to be a yeah. Stanford grad. Now, Jim, they, add, they already had Zul Lloyd, who's a top scorer. And didn't they ask us, add Skyler Diggins? Is the Skyler play with them too now? I yes, because Skylar. yeah, yes, they signed Skylar. Skylar was having problems in uh, Phoenix, yeah. so she was glad to go with someplace that she's wanted. Uh huh. So okay, we're gonna be looking for Seattle to uh, pick things up, and um, we'll see how it goes. All right, thanks so much. We're gonna go to break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna catch everybody up on HBCU basketball and a little bit more. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. Uh, Jim, I'm going to let you take us away with the uh, women's MIAC, women's SWAT, women's Gulf Coast basketball. Okay, thank you, Cliff. I'm going to start out with the Gulf Coast because we have a something that never happened before. Maya Buchanan scored 60 points and 19 rebounds in a win. And she was named NIA Player of the Week for the second mm -hmm. time overall. She shot, she shot 24 for 38, 63%, and then she was 75%, 12 for 16 from the line. Again, shout out to Fisk. And it's a conference and Fisk record of most points scored ever. Now, Transitioning quickly, Russ College is in first place with a record of 15 and 1, followed closely by Fisk at 14 and 2, Philander Smith at 13 and 3, Dillard at 11 and 7, Oakwood at 7 and 9, Talladega 6 and 10, Wiley 6 and 12, Tougaloo 5 and 11, Virgin I University of Virgin Islands 3 and 13. And Simo, Sumo Southern University at New Orleans is two and fifteen. Now going on to the MIAC women's basketball, you've got Norfolk State at nineteen and five, eight and one in conference. North Carolina A and T, North Carolina Central, I'm sorry, is six and three in conference. Coppin six and three, Howard six and three. Maryland Eastern Shore four and four. 
Morgan State, two and five, Delaware State, two and six, and South Carolina State at zero and nine. Going on to the SWAC, you've got Jackson State, which still is undefeated in the conference, 13 and 0. Mm -hmm. Grant followed by Grambling State, 10 and 3. Arkansas Pine Bluff, 9 and 4. Southern also at 9 and 4. Alabama AM, 7 and 6. Florida AM, 6 and 7. Bethune Cookman, 5 and 8. Prairie View, 5 and 8. Alcorn, 5 and 8 also. Texas Southern, 4 and 9. Alabama State, 3 and 10. And Mississippi Valley State, 2 and 11. All righty. Thanks, Jim. Now, uh, we're going to move on to the men's division in the MEAC Conference. Norfolk State in Conference 7-2, North Carolina Central 5-4, Delaware State 5-4, Howard 5-4, South Carolina State 5-4, Morgan State 5-4, Maryland Eastern Shore 3-6, and, and Conference State, they are 3-8. And, and in just a few weeks, they'll begin their tournament. Now, for the snack, Southern 10-3, Maryland 10-3, Texas State 8-5, Texas Southern 8-5, Corn State eight and five, Boone Cookman seven and six, Alabama State seven and six, Alabama A and M seven and six, Arkansas Pine Bluff six and seven, Prairie View five and eight, Florida A and M two and eleven, and Mississippi Valley State zero and thirteen, and they're pulling up the rear. Now, the Gulf Coast Conference, whose tournament begins the twenty eighth of this month, in the men's division, its record. Philander Smith, 14-3, Tugaloo, 13-3, Talladega, 8-4, Fisk, 10-6, Wally, 8-9, Southern University, 7-10, Dillard, 7-11, Rush, 6-10, Virgin Islands, 6-10, and Oakwood is 1-4, 14. So things are taping up, and uh, we're looking forward to some great tournaments coming up. We'll get back to... Um, uh, we're going to talk over some of the men's division one in just a second, but I do want to put this on the table before we do. Congratulations, women's basketball. Caitlin Clark breaks, according to the NCAA's recording of records, the NCAA all-time scoring record with 49 points in the game last week. She passed Kelsey Plum of the Las Vegas Ace. Now, here's where history has to get it right. We applaud Caitlin Clark. But prior to her, there were two women. And prior to the NCAA becoming the governing body, they played in the AIAW governing body. Lynette Woodard, she played from 77 to 81 at the University of Kansas, who scored over 3,600 points. And from Frances Marion in 1970s, a young lady named Pearl Moore, who was recently inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, she scored over 4,000 points, both African-American. And we have left their names unmentioned way too long. And they did it in an era when there was no three-point line. Dr. Kemp, I'm coming to you first for your comments on Lynette Woodard and also on Pearl Moore, who was a woman of the month on the show, by the way. Yes, Dr. Kemp. Yes, she was, Pearl Moore. Mm -hmm. I mean, what can you say? Like you, you just said, uh, both of these ladies scored these many points without a three-point line. And not to take anything away from Caitlin Clark, because that is a tremendous, um, tremendous uh, 
task that she definitely uh, fulfilled. I mean, I think it's wonderful that she's getting, you know, more people uh, involved in watching the WNBA and I mean, I'm sorry, not the WNBA, but the college, you know, the women college teams. Um, but with between Lynette Woodard and Pearl, Pearl Moore, um, just awesome athletes um, back in their in their times. You know, what can you say? This is just amazing that um, they definitely were able to accomplish what they have accomplished um, in the past. Absolutely. 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 Steve, oh, that's right. Give us your comments. Pearl Moore, Lynette Woodard, and Caitlin Clark. Uh, to reiterate what uh, Dr. Uh, Kemp said, we're not taking anything away from Caitlin Clark because it's a fantastic accomplishment and, and she's a great player. Uh, but Lynette Woodard, if I can getting it right, they didn't start counting the records, I think, to the year after she had graduated, which Absolutely. is which is archaic. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This woman scored 3,600 points, and I remember her playing, and she was a great player. I've seen film of Pearl Moore play, and she was a she was a bucket getter. <laughs> she, could just, she could just flat out play. But it's a shame, like you said, uh, Dr. Burt, uh, history needs to get it right. I mean, what is, I mean, no three-point line. What is it? You know how many points this woman scored. Let's, that should be in stone right there. Yeah. That's the best. And shout out to Jay Billis for Saturday when they were talking about Caitlin Clark's record. He said, I bet Lynette Woodard would have something to say about that. And he's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lynette and Pearl Moore comments of both Chins and Caitlin Clark. It's the fact that they are not mentioned. In fact, the fact that it's gone on not mentioned when they were all the plus. Uh, Jeff, I'm to you on the same subject. Jeff? Yeah, you know, listen, we're in a time where, you know, the historians have all the technology in the world to uh, bring these bring these uh, uh, players to the forefront. We can talk about them night and day and still praise our players of today. You know, we don't have to leave it what was, what was not done in the past. We can make it done. We can bring it yeah. to the forefront. Listen. Give them all the praise, the accolades that they have missed and they deserve, and still honor this young lady uh, without a doubt. So, you know, we have so many things that's going on. They could upgrade the all-star games every year. Let's go back and take care of some of these people and then stick with our folks that are, that are making the game better today. That young lady can shoot the ball. I know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeff, and, and, and in this case, Lynette Wood and Pearl Moore are still living. So, you know, why don't they come out and present um, an award to Caitlin or something? But let's honor them. Jim, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And also, I want our, our listeners to type in the chat on this subject of how we can honor Pearl Moore, Lynette Woodard, and, and still be fair to Caitlin Clark. Jim? Well, I'm going to say something positive about this because I did not really know about Pearl Moore, but since Caitlin Clark has broken the record, yeah. You've seen more about Pearl Moore. You've seen more. I remember Lynette Woodard as Steve said. You've seen more about these players. And and from what I understand, Pearl Moore made a lot of her shots at what would be a, the three-point range right now. Oh, oh yeah. So oh, yeah. I think it's it's bringing a, 
it's bringing a highlight to something that was not highlighted until recently. So I'm glad about that aspect That's there. That's true, Jim. That's true. That's true. Thank you for making that point, Jim, so much. Thank you so much. Now, uh, I want to, as we're transitioning, before we bring on Coach Fletcher, we're transitioning into track and field season. The indoor season just ended. Uh, the SWAC conference just ended their indoor meet in Birmingham. Congratulations to the ladies of Florida A&M University. They are the indoor track and field champions. They finished 10 points ahead of the defending Alabama State and to the young men of Texas Southern. They also won the indoor in the SWAC conference. Those two teams were going on the uh, national indoor track meet, which begins around March 8th. The uh, REAC track and field championship is ending tonight. We'll bring you those results uh, next week. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come right back. And we're going to meet Raleigh College's men's head coach, Coach Joseph Flegler. We are looking forward to it. Yeah. Welcome back to Burton Friends and the absolute very best on women's sports and HBC athletics. Um, we want to welcome our guest tonight. Diana's in the chat box, the chat room. Welcome our 16 engaged listeners and counting. And uh, we also want to let you know that uh, if you're living with diabetes or at risk and tired of being stuck in a cycle of attempts to achieve better health, if you said yes, Abundant Life LLC may be able to help. One size doesn't fit all, but you can affect the strategies that empowers you to reach your goal. Try something new and let's break the cycle. Website, abundant-life-llc.com. Again, 615-212-8490. That's Dr. Rache Freeman. Or you can reach her at a life in full effect, one word, at gmail.com. All righty. So... <clears throat> This young man here is, uh, in 2021, he was the uh, head coach at Ecclesiastic College. This was prior to coming to Wiley. And he led a 15-8 record in seventh place finish in the 2022 National Christian College Athletic Association Championship. Before Ecclesia, Fledger, Coach Joseph Fledger, spent a season as assistant coach at South Carolina State University, where he helped develop two Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference selections Themis Fultz, and Rashawn Edwards. He spent six seasons at his alma mater, Savannah State University, as an assistant coach under his guidance. The Tigers led the NCAA in three points made and ranked in the top five in scoring in consecutive seasons. 
It defeated Power Five program Oregon State University, 93 to 90. And in 2018, the Tigers won the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference regular season title. Title. Flegler helped tutor six all yet selections. His coaching career began at Thomas University. He helped the program, which at that time was defunct for 15 years, defeat four top 25 opponents and advance to the semifinals of the Sun Conference Tournament. He developed NAIA All-American Justin Watkins. As a player, Flegler played at Savannah State University and helped turn the program around. It went 0-28 in the season before Flegler and won the most games in the NCAA Division I history when he graduated. Before Savannah State, Coach Flegler played at the College of Southern Maryland where he was selected to the National Junior College Athletic Association All-Region 20 in all Maryland football teams after averaging 24.7 points per game. Coach Flegler played three seasons professionally abroad, including being drafted by the Quebec Cavs. Please join Please, please join me in welcoming the Dr. Cliff Burton Frame, Coach Joseph Flegner. Coach Flegner, are you there? Testing. Hello. All right. Good evening. Coach Flegler, how are you there? Oh, I apologize. I, it might be something on my end. The type of year I've been having, that's a part <laughs> That's okay. Uh, <laughs> glad to have you back. A little technical difficulty. We adjust just like in a game. Get on back in. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? And thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Coach. So tell us about, now you're from where, Maryland or Georgia? I know you, you played in Georgia. 
Well, I'm actually from Washington, D.C., uh, born and raised. Spent my first 18 years there before I moved to Georgia and basically became uh, half Savannah. <laughs> I see. Okay. So tell us how your high school career and how you got into basketball as a player and you just kind of evolved from that to the college player um, and then on into coaching. But take us through high school and, and bring us along in your career. Sure. Um, I, mean, I picked up the ball pretty early, like most people. I, I guess it was just my influences. Um, you know, I was extremely lucky to have some quality role models around me growing up, and a lot of them was just by way of athletics. So I gravitated towards basketball. I went to uh, Woodrow Wilson High School, which is actually called Jackson Reed. They changed the name because of uh, the historical uh, implications of what uh, Woodrow Wilson, as far as slaves and things of that nature. So um, I uh, played there, had a successful career. Um, mm -hmm. And then went on and uh, was able to earn an opportunity to go to junior college and eventually uh, Savannah State because my coach actually uh, played for Georgetown. He played for the uh, national championship team and he recruited that area pretty frequently. So, um, you know, he found something in me that he liked and I really appreciated. Not so much because of the basketball aspect of things, but he's probably the person that had the most influence on me in my life outside of my parents. So. Um, I was very fortunate to work for him, and then, you know, everything else kind of rid itself. Uh -huh. Now, who was your coach? He played for Coach John Thompson, your high school coach? Yeah, well, my uh, my college coach, Horace Broadnecks. Oh, okay. He played, he okay, played, with, yeah, he played with Pat um, and was on that 84 national championship team. I see. And so yeah. you're coming through high school, you have a good career, and uh, average of 24 points, you had to be recruited by several schools, D, uh, D1, D2, D3, what made you choose, you went to Co, but then what made you um, ultimately choose the school that you did? Well, actually, that's the thing, uh, you know, no understanding um, recruiting now and understanding the game a little bit more. I was uh, a 5'9 gunner, and that's <laughs> it's not <laughs> a lot of opportunities for a 5'9 uh, shooting guard. So, um, you know, I didn't have a plethora of offers coming out, um, actually, junior college. Uh, was the only opportunity I had. Um, and then ironically, just a quick story. I mean, when I was sure. at junior college, um, you know, I was getting recruited by Bethune-Cookman uh, University. They actually decided to take someone else, but Coach Broadness actually just had got the job at Savannah State University. And he was kind of uh, speaking with some of the people that were at Bethune-Cookman because Cliff Reed, who was his assistant at Bethune-Cookman, actually got the job and he told him, hey, there's a guy in junior college, we're no longer recruiting him, but hey, you might want to take a look at him. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, towards the end of the year, he offered me an opportunity and, you know, I, I decided to take it because it was actually my only scholarship that I had, but um, it worked mm -hmm. out for me and I'm definitely uh, grateful. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And uh, did you know in college or have an inkling that you may want to uh, coach him back? Absolutely not. To be honest, um, you know, I was kind of fighting. <laughs> I was kind of fighting it. I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I kind of backed into coaching. I was, you know, I was playing professionally abroad and I was pretty, really young in my career. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, had a solid, you know, professional career, but um, one of my former coaches, and that's why I tell guys, you know, you got to try to do your best to try to leave an impression on people because you absolutely have no idea who will present an opportunity for you. Wow. So quick story. Um, I was working the camp at Savannah State uh, prior to me finishing a course during the summer to graduate. And during, the, during that time, one of the assistant coaches, one of the new assistant coaches, I actually hadn't even played for him. 
he was running the camp. This was the first year we had the camp. And, you know, I just felt obligated to help um, just because of everything that Savannah State did for me. So, you know, towards the end of the, the camp, he said, hey, man, I, I can't give you too much money, but, if, you know, I try to give you what I can. But I said, hey, man, this is this is an opportunity. This is the least as I can do to pay it back. So fast forward, um, he got the job at Thomas University, and he reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to start coaching? I said, absolutely not. I'm playing basketball. <laughs> and he said, okay, uh, well, best of luck. Then he called me back again and said, hey, I'll, you know, I'll pay for your master's if you reconsider. Mm. So then I had to make a grown-up decision. I talked with the people that are closest in my circle, and they said, hey, it's an opportunity you can't turn down. So, you know, I, I, I prayed about it and uh, eventually accepted the opportunity. And to be honest, I was going to grip my master's and go back and play and, and, yeah. and try to continue to play. But um, sometimes, you know, God put a calling on your life and they Come say on. that you're most qualified to help the people that resemble you in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started, you know, seeing, well, noticing my calling was, you know, trying to help student athletes and passing them to try to uh, use the game of basketball to be successful because that's what, you know, coaches did for me in my life. So, you know, I backed into it. I started liking it. And then, you know, I fortunately had some success and just, you know, kept with it. Yeah. Coach, um, and, and we're going to introduce our staff is now coming back in, which is great. Um, okay. When you got in the – you talk about player development a lot, but let's talk mm-hmm. about the academic side of when you recruit right. high schoolers as opposed to you also recruit, I guess, JUCOs and those who are transferring right. in with all the transfer going around now, right? Right. What is it that you instill in your players so that they understand – what's important, and eventually, sooner or later, the basketball will stop bouncing and you got to make a living. What is it? How do you approach it? Well, really, just it's just structure. I mean, you know, academics is one of the primary uh, things that we try to focus on in our program. I mean, just to give you a quick synopsis, last sure. year was the first time that uh, at Wiley University, um, we had a 3.0 as a men's basketball program in nine years. Congratulations. Um, past Congratulations. Year, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And this past semester, we also had a 3.0 as well. So it's really just getting them guys to understand that, hey, basketball, you know, you try to – basketball is just a tool. I mean, you try to use it as much as you can to try to position yourself to be a net positive in society. And in order to be a net positive in society, I mean, you got to try to educate yourself. You got to try to grow because when you get in certain spaces, you want to be qualified to take advantage of the opportunity. So like I said, it's just the structure, you know, having a study hall, you know, being engaged in their academic process, you know, having, uh, you know, weekly meetings to kind of get an idea of where they are academically, you know, ha- getting them to have relationships with the teachers and other academic personnel throughout the campus so that they're actively involved in their academic process as opposed to just going through the motions. And when I recruit a student athlete, you know, I try to let them know, hey, these are the things that we'll do for you academically. All you really have to do is come in and just be intentional about your growth, and then, you know, it'll it'll connect. Yeah. Coach, a lot of times when um, coaches come into a program, some mm-hmm. say clean house. Others say, let me work with what we have while I bring in as well. What was mm-hmm. your approach? Um, because sometimes you can look and say, Hey, these guys aren't that bad. Like you say, they need structure or right. different. What was your approach? You've been doing three years now or four years? What is it? All right. This is this is actually my second year. Now you asked me, am I? Did I come in and like uh, Dion and say I'm bringing my baggage? I'm bringing yeah. my Louis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. 
No, I, you know, for me, man, it's everybody has um, some good in them. Everybody has something that they can contribute to the program. You know, I'm, I'm not in a situation where, you know, I can kind of clean house yeah. um, and try to bring in a new group of guys because, one, that's not what my president, uh, President Phelps, stands for. You know, okay. he believes in the good in everybody. So, you know, me personally, I wanted to try to bring back the guys that I'd already had, especially with us having six seniors. Yeah. Um, and try to work with the individuals that I had because they had some talent. You know, they had been mm-hmm. through a lot um, the previous year with COVID and, you know, yeah. it was just a lot of things they had to go through. Um, but, you know, I wanted to bring those guys back because I had a conversation with all of them, looked them in their eyes, and they seemed like great guys. Academically, they were sound. And then also, you know, based on the conversations that I had um, with the individuals on campus, they had a good reputation. So I wanted to bring those guys back, you know, just try to infuse them with a little bit of, uh, the structure that I wanted to put in place. And then also just bringing a couple more pieces to kind of uh, insulate what we needed uh, athletically to try to make us competitive. Now, this past year, this year that I have now, I, I, with, with me losing six seniors, um, I had to bring in 10 new guys. So yeah. this team is new. But uh, once again, I mean, the same structures in place, still having an academic success. Um, athletically, you know, we've had a lot of things that we had to overcome. I mean, you know, you know, we were six and two, and I lost uh, my captain and a double double <laughs> to mm. an ACL uh, ACL tear um, at six wow. and two. Um, I also had weeks when we went, you know, with five six guys in practice because of COVID, strep throat, and you know, I had you know the, our past uh, our past road trip. Uh, I, I had 40, 40 points on the bench because uh, oh, <laughs> uh, man. two guys, my top leading scorers on the bench because they both were in boots. <laughs> so you know so it, it took a lot of figuring out but i give these guys a lot of credit man they they have the right essence about them as far as how they approach the game and how they approach life so we'll we'll figure it out well you know your program is coming i'm gonna open it up we got most of our co-hosts back tonight uh back What's online up? now i'm gonna ask jeff if he'll type in but i'm gonna come to uh to jim first and jim questions comment for coach Fegler, wally Howard. jim All right, Dr. Kemp, you there? Good evening, Coach. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Good evening, Dr. Kemp. I'm so happy that you made it on the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank um, you for me. So first of all, I, I, I'm in, truly been in love with Wiley College. Um, <laughs> and of course, my one of my favorite actors, um, the great debaters, um, you know, how can we just go wrong with this, with this wonderful university? Um, so my question is, um, I like when you said um, for and you, you tell your, your student athletes to leave an impression because um, you never know who they may meet and can definitely help them along the way. And I like that your president said, believe in the good of everybody. Um, so is there anything that you yourself remember as a player that has helped you teach your student athletes now that you are a coach? <laughs> Man, that list is so long. <laughs> I, I, I would say this. I would say this. I think the most impactful thing that um, my former college coach and which ended up being my boss will always preach to us is about growth. You know, if you're not necessarily growing, you're stagnant. So that's the main mm-hmm. thing I try to tell those guys. Don't don't get comfortable where you are. 
I mean, you know, even if you have success, I mean, you're going to get to a level in life where you need to make sure that as a person you scale, because if you get to that point and you don't scale as a person, you won't be ready for that opportunity. So I just try to get them to commit to growth, be intentional about that. And, you know, if you do that and kind of focus on on yourself and every area in your life will be impacted. So that's the, that's the main thing. Mm All righty. I'm going to come to coach Steve, right? Uh, Steve, right? Comments for Coach Legler. Coach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, Coach. Right. Uh, I was listening to something you were saying because I have a nephew that's uh playing baseball at Christian Brothers College. Uh, okay. And he's he was a real good basketball player too, but uh, he actually had a good game. They went two for five, t- stole two bases. But we used to tell him, like you just said, let you, that athletic ability and that scholarship be your tool. Absolutely. And he's on schedule to graduate in May. Uh, real proud of him. He, he may he may have a chance, you know, at some double-A single-A ball because he's, he's, he's really good. But uh, I like how you said that. But he was actually a real good basketball player. But – Another thing, I, I, I know that uh, where you are, uh, I've got a cousin that lives in Houston. Okay. And he tells me that Houston, they think about basketball is bigger than football in Houston. And I was wondering, because there are a lot of schools that you have to recruit against uh, there at every level, D1, D2, D3, NAIA. How tough it is how tough is it to recruit your area? Well, it's not tough at all just because of the popularity of the game. It's funny that you said Houston because you know the first thing I try to do when I get to the area is identify, okay, where are the basketball areas that I need to be intentional about? And I have actually two student athletes from Houston. One, he's the lead conference in the score, top ten in uh the NAI, he averaging twenty one a game, DeLorean Johnson. All right. And then I also and then I also have another student athlete. I actually have three. The second student athlete from Houston is my point guard. He's leading the conference in assists, second in steals, and first in assist to turnover ratio. And then the third student athlete I have from Houston, his name is Tavion Fisher. He's leading the conference in three-point percentage, shooting 44% from three. So you're right about Houston. I mean, they, they ask some players in Houston. So I try to – like Houston, Houston, Dallas. You know, I try to, you know, draw a circle about a three to four hour circle around this area and just be, you know, intentional about recruiting guys because one, when they're, it's comparable to what they're accustomed to being in this region. Right. Uh, so they can get home, they can have a support system. And then also um, the biggest thing for me is they, they know the terrain when it comes to uh, athletics in this area. So, you know, sometimes I piggyback off of them and say, Hey man, what high school I need to go to? What, you know, what mm. college I need to go to? Because the student athletes have real insight, you know, when you start talking about the players in that area. So um, I'm mm-hmm. always try to be intentional about, you know, my area, wherever I am, if I'm fortunate to be able to coach it. But I'm always go back in D.C., go to D.C. and grab a couple. I'm going to go to, right. you know, Georgia and grab a couple and just try to keep my pipe- pipelines in those type of areas. Wonderful. That's Wonderful. great. Coach, I'm going to come to uh, Jeff. We got him back with us. Jeff, okay. question, comment for Coach Flegler. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Welcome, welcome. I'm doing well. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I'm doing so, well. So I know coming from the DMV, 
I know you got some toughness with you, man. <laughs> and, and, and no choice. <laughs> no question. No question about it. There's some players. Some some players. You know, smaller than you, Muggsy from Baltimore. It's right, right. Mom. So, absolutely. In terms of recruiting, and the way you came in at a five-nine shooter, that's not the standard for a two-guard. Absolutely no not. <laughs> so how does that apply when you're recruiting? Do you search for the standard or what you need for the position, or do you take a closer look at talent and what the other what what the guys have to offer? They may not fit the mold, like yourself coming in. How does that apply when you recruit? Well, the first thing I try to identify um, with, obviously, the talent. I mean, I, I don't really necessarily look at how tall you are, how short you are. I mean, I, I try to look at, I try to use my basketball. I say, you know, can your superpower, does it translate to the floor? Whether mm -hmm. it's how well you shoot the ball, you know, if you have energy, you know, if you have a skill set. Obviously, I'm gonna gravitate towards a certain skill set. Being from the East Coast, coast I love you know guys that can do a lot of things with the basketball. But mm -hmm. what I try to do is just identify: Hey, if you can play your position and impact that position uh, with your skill set, then you can play for me. Case in point: I you know the past two years I didn't had a point guard that was five six. If you mm -hmm. can play, I can care less. <laughs> I can yeah. care less how big you are. I mean, if you can play, you can play. It'll translate. But the, the next thing I think about is, child, are we going to have a, a, a positive work environment? You know, I'm around these guys, you know, more than I'm around my wife at times. Mm -hmm. So we need we need to like each other. We need to fit. So, you know, sometimes I got to speed date and try to figure out, hey, you know, mm -hmm. are we going to be able to work together? Because we're partners. Coaches and players are partners. So can we work together for the next six months, be on top of each other, and still get the most out of each other, even though we're bumping heads? Or does our personalities don't work together? And if they don't, it's that's that's not the end of the world. It's okay, but we have to have a a a, 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 a positive work environment for us to get the most out of each other. So if those tools line up, the skill set, and then the, the 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 personalities, then we'll make it work. Five nine or seven three. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Before yeah, I come absolutely. to uh, coach, I noticed in your record. This is you take a program one was default, one was a losing mm -hmm. record, and you like to build them. And I'm looking at we've been keeping up with all this all year, and I said we got to get you on. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Wiley College now, the same thing as your other schools. You've made it to the semifinals of the Gold Tournament last year, and I look at you, I look at Fisk at Dillard this year as a, what we call dangerous. Everybody landed. And of course, but your team is right there. And this is something that it's like you specialize in taking a team from here to here. Is that something you like to challenge up? And I'm coming to you next, Tim. I, I think it's just, I mean, sometimes you, you just have certain skill sets in life and then they just kind of translate to, to your, to you, what you do in the workforce, I would say. That's kind of been my life, you know, trying to figure out, hey, how can I make not necessarily something out of nothing? Because my parents did an amazing job and provided me with as much resources as they could. But, you know, there are things that I had to try to figure out during the course of growing up. And then that just kind of translates to the, you know, to my coaching style. You know, I'm always going to try to stay in situation. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you got to take situations that aren't the best when you're starting out. Um, and try to get the most out of them. So 
as a basketball player, I had to do that going into a program that was 0-28. I had a great mentor in, in Horace Broadnax, and he always showed us, hey, let's figure it out. Let's try to figure out how to get the most out of the situation. And we was able to do that. Now, fast forward to my coaching opportunities, it was the same thing. You know, I hadn't always been at the, the school with the most resources or the school with all the bell, the bells and whistles, per se. But at the end, so if you get the right people involved, you get some grit, you know, you got some commitment to, you know, growth, what I always try to talk about, then it'll figure itself out. So I guess, you know, in life, my skill sets kind of just translate to, you know, my coaching. All right. Jim? Are you there? Yes, I'm there. Coach, I, I like what you said about uh, being able to coach other people. You know, I always believe that a good coach can coach your players and can coach his players. So I believe that you probably, you probably can coach not only your players, but, you know, uh, players that uh, were left by the uh, old regime. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, I looked and Wiley College is probably the westernmost college in the GCAC. Correct. Are your road trips a problem? Um, they're long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what, what I would say about our road trips is the beauty of basketball is sometimes, well, not sometimes, anytime you get an opportunity to kind of step outside, you know, what, you, what you've been accustomed to. A lot of these guys, you know, they hadn't really been out of their, their neighborhood, per se, um, or out of their state. Mm -hmm. So we had an opportunity to go to the Virgin Islands this year. I don't know how many. I, I've never been to a Virgin Islands. My sister coach has never been on a plane before. <laughs> you know, we had an opportunity to go to Nashville, Tennessee to go to Fisk. Uh, we had an uh -oh. opportunity. Jackson Jackson, uh -huh. Jackson is an underrated city. Jackson, Mississippi is an underrated city. You know, there's some of these cities that some of these guys had not would, would never have been able to experience outside of um, playing the game, you know, even as a as a player, you know, even though I played low major division one basketball, we had to go make money everywhere. So I've probably been to 47 mm -hmm. out of the 50 states. So, you know, the trips are long, long, but for me it's gratifying because they get to experience certain things that they would have never experienced, you know, okay. maybe in their life. And that's what it's about, man, it's through athlete experience. Oh, yeah. Now, quick question about the Virgin Islands. Yes, Was sir. that a distraction yes, going sir. to the Virgin Islands? No, no way that can be a distraction. <laughs> oh, no, I not They was excited. They circled, they circled that one on the calendar. Um, that was a great experience, man. And, and, what, I, and what I really enjoyed about uh, the Virgin Islands, they had some really nice people over there, man. It was really accommodating. Um, so, you know, we enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a place that, you know, me and my wife got, might have to check off the list together. Mm -hmm. Definitely a beautiful place. All right. Coach, in a few minutes left, I want to just um, highlight Wally College and, and some demographics. Mm -hmm. About 600-plus students go there? Correct. Okay. And, I'm a little and, over and one thing I would – Go ahead, I would, No, no, I was going to say my, my president, if he hit his interview, he, he going to bring me to his office. So we transitioned to Wiley University during – I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Nah, no worries. No worries. No worries. <laughs> I know we've been, we've been Wiley College for 160 years, so I get it. Uh, <laughs> You know, I get it. Uh, but go ahead with your demographics. Yeah, we're about at so, about, about six six fifty right now. Right, and a little over fifty five percent or so uh, women. But you have, I looked at your your, your majors, accounting, biology. Mm -hmm. You have everything that a student needs. The ratio right. is like eighteen students, one faculty. So, 
you know, I always say the best, a lot of things are, are well hidden or the best kept secrets are small when it's building. And um, I just wanted to make sure that we get that message out. Well, we're hearing about 37 states. And um, let me take a look at Wiley College. Now, you're in Marshall, Texas. Is that right? Yes. Okay, Marshall, Texas. And um, a, a great school. Been there since 1873. You're right. And um, mm -hmm. if you're if you're selling a student, I know you recruit close to home, but if a student right. is listening to this uh, podcast as far away, what do you say to at least make them think about taking a look and coming down to Texas? I think the main thing I would sell them, sell them on is, you know, probably the um, the atmosphere. Um, it's, it's really a close knit campus. You have a lot of people on campus that's a, that's uh, connected to Wiley in one form or another, whether it's alumni uh, or they've been there for a while. So um, the environment generally allows you to be successful because people will pour into you. Yeah. Um, and that's what I try to, and that's what I try to say with my program. Hey, you know, I, you know, bells and whistles are, are nice at times, but you want people that's going to be committed to your success. Uh, throughout your duration here. And I think that's what we offer at Wiley. So, you know, if a student athlete is really considering us, I would think, you know, that would be in the forefront. Your success is our priority. Uh, our president's mm -hmm. motto is, this is where capacity and opportunity collide to make magic. So, I mean, that's kind of right what now. we try to, that's what we try to our student athletes. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm gonna let Dr. Kemp uh, get our final question in for coach. For uh, Wiley University, tell the president we got it right, Coach. Dr. <laughs> Kemp? <laughs> yes, thanks, Coach, so much for um, just being here with us. Um, so I always like to ask this question to the coaches. Um, so do your student athletes, do they really believe that they can, um, you know, take you on the, on the floor of the court? <laughs> Do you have to lace up your shoes sometimes and just show him, show them who's really the the boss of the court? <laughs> so I guess, uh, so to answer your question, I'm sure they do. Um, as of as of probably about two years ago, that that would definitely be a challenge I would take on. But you know, unfortunately, I was in a really bad car accident last oh. year, um, and I uh, basically broke my my hip. So I have mm -hmm. to get a hip replacement. And, um, you know, at the end of the year, I'll probably take care of that. So I hadn't played basketball in a while. But when I get that hip replacement, there's a couple guys I see in practice every day. The way they look <laughs> yeah. at me, we'll have to check it out. <laughs> wow. Coach, uh, we want to tell you that you always have a voice here. You're welcome here. You know, I'll, I'll share with you, we're all HBCU here um, in the same family. You got Fisk, you have Tennessee State. And... Um, Oakwood University affiliations. And so you you always a voice, so you don't have to wait for us to call you. You have a home here. We want to thank you sincerely uh, for coming on our show. And uh, and uh, and um, we're going to wish you the best of luck in the tournament. A couple of us are coming down here to see it in a few weeks. And, um, you know, we just want to say thanks so much for coming on our show. And anything you want to share with us before we, before we get ready to go? Well, I want to first say thank you for having me and then also thank you for being a voice for HBCUs. Um, you know, we always need ambassadors and individuals that elevate our um, institutions because we have a lot of talent. We have a lot of people that are as good as other institutions. We just don't have the platform. So we truly appreciate that. And, um, you know, keep 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 doing the good work. And also, uh, you all are highlighting women. I learned a lot 
Um, oh, yeah. You know, just listening. <laughs> I learned a lot just listening. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to listening to the podcast more. Yeah. After Barnes has been on, Kiki Baker Barnes okay. has been on our show. She started the season in August with So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding woman. Mm-hmm. Well, stay right there, Coach. So, um, in two weeks, we will have a coach from the CIAA. They'll just be finishing their tournament, and they'll be okay. coming on the show. Uh, we have one of two coaches, so we won't announce the names yet. And then we have okay. a host of coaches, track and field, coming um, in March and in April. And it's March Madness time, and, and, and we cover not just our HBC conferences and not just one. We cover all the way to the national tournaments, NAIA, three, two, and one. You get it That's all awesome. right here at the Cliff Burton Friends. And uh, we want everybody to continue to spread the word. We hit a, a, a milestone this week. Uh, we've been on since November of 2022, and we just went over 2,000 downloads as a show. So, hey, it's growing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Continue to spread the word. Work. That's awesome. Absolutely. We'll do. All righty. Hey, best of luck, Molly University. And everybody, we'll see you back in 100. 68 hours from now. Thank you so much. Coach, thanks so much Thank again. You. We Thank appreciate you. For you. Me. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. All right, guys. You too.